Welcome to the Sisters in Crime Writers Podcast. Everyone has a unique writing journey, so join us for conversations about those journeys from the writers themselves. Julie Henrik is the executive director of Sisters in Crime, and I am delighted to welcome Alec Pecky to the podcast today. Alec is a board member of Sisters in Crime, and she is also a well-published author. After a long career as a healthcare executive, Alec wrote her first mystery in 2013. A lifelong fan of the mystery genre, a few dud stories convinced her to try her hand at writing. Now she has 16 books published in two series. Her next release will mark the start of a third series. Welcome to the podcast, Alec. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. Thank you, Julie. So 2013 is when you published your first novel, but had how long had you thought, I want to write a novel? I probably was thinking about it five years prior to that. And I was an average English student um, in school, which was a long time ago. And if I ever had to do any creative writing, it was like pulling teeth. And so coming out of a more of a business setting where you try to write memos that are no more than two pages, looking at a full novel was really daunting. But, yeah. you know, the after reading it, as I said, I read a couple of mysteries and I thought, oh, my God, I could do this better. I thought, okay, well, I will. So I had a break in 2012 and I'm like, okay, I'm going to write this mystery. And I, I didn't read any books or attend any classes. I just sat there and stared at paper going, how do I start? And, um, I tried a couple of apps available at the time and it was like, who's your protagonist? And I'm like, what's a protagonist? I mean, I was that, (laughs) Yeah, uh, th- that dumb about writing at the time. Um, so I I wanted to do something in the medical field because that was my level of familiarity. But um, I was a hospital CEO, which I thought was a really boring job and would never be a protagonist for a book. But um, I had sat through some um, meetings with the forensic pathologist um, in our hospital. I'm like, that's who I'm going to write into my book. <laughs> and that was how I, I landed on the, the topic. Um, and so I couldn't figure out what I was writing. Um, didn't know my premise that well even either. And I'm like, okay, I can't figure out who my characters are or my protagonist, and my premise sounds weak, but I'm going to write a whole page and see what happens. And I did. And I'm like, okay, this looks like it might start a story. So I just kept going. And probably, oh, three or four months after I started, I came across Stephen King's book on writing. Mm -hmm. And then the light bulb went on. I was a um, panzer and I didn't know it. Um, that was why <laughs> I, I couldn't figure all those things out. And even today, 
I keep trying not to be one. I, I want to desperately outline because it looks like you can write so much faster with outlining. But the characters actually talk to me in my head and I feel like I'm standing behind the curtain of a stage watching the dialogue happen between two characters or, you know, sitting outside of a room of detectives listening to their conversation. I'm just writing it down. So I just haven't figured out a better way to, to write. <laughs> well, it obviously works for you, but let's talk a little bit more about this process of you, you, you know, saying, I want to write a book and really diving into it and staying committed to it, mm -hmm. to not losing heart. Was it just something about, uh, you know, setting that challenge for yourself at the beginning, or was it really something you felt called to do? Hmm. It, I would say it was more a challenge. And yeah. I, um, I'm always amazed when I come across authors who have oh, I didn't publish my first five books. And I'm like, what? <laughs> I can't imagine totally, you know, typing away over a story for months and then putting it aside. That's just sort of beyond my perception. So it was, I, I kept going because it was like, darn it, I told these people I was, I told friends I was doing it, embarking on it. So it was like, okay, well, I have to deliver now. <laughs> <laughs> and do you um since then have you taken you you're a member of sisters in crime mm -hmm. you've been a chapter member uh, i know you do write-ins and things but have you have you sort of been building your craft classes since then or um yeah, uh, primarily through um conventions or sisters in crime offerings i haven't done um a writer's retreat with a group of people. Um, I've not done critique groups. Um, and so really all my training is coming from Sisters in Crime. Um, it has a wide variety um, to help you be a better writer. Um, you know, sometimes you can work on character depth. Um, sometimes how do you increase your suspense? And sometimes it's, it's an expert, a criminal justice expert that helps you um, weave your story. So all of, you need all of those things to write a good story. And Sisters in Crime has lots of, uh, of classes on, on those things. And so why crime fiction? Why did you decide to write a mystery? Was there just something about your old job and wanting to kill people? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, I, I guess I like, I like good and evil. Um, so um, I like reading about, you know, good doing better than evil. And that's part of many mysteries. And, and I'm actually fairly selective. I don't like, um, um, I don't like psychological suspense and I don't like, um, unreliable narrators. Um, I'm, a, I just don't like that part of the story. And so I avoid those. Um, but it's kind of a challenge to keep a story going long enough that it's believable, 
that the person hasn't been caught on page 10, but, um, you know, you need more than 10 pages of, of a novel. So I think the, even now as I read books, I will try to figure out who, who is the murderer um, mm-hmm. or why. Um, so I think that's why I like the, the mystery genre is there's a challenge, an intellectual challenge in there to figure out where the story's going. And how would you classify your books? Um, good question. Um, you know, in some ways they're cozy in that there's no sex, there's no swearing, there's nobody with a horrible life um, in them, but they're not set in small towns. Um, and my lead detective is not an amateur, so they don't fit that. So really they're just women sleuths. Um, is uh, traditional traditional and, mystery yeah yeah um and so you've written three series now uh but what you know did you did you start off saying i want to write a series or was that another happy accident um it was like i stepped onto the treadmill and the the moment you find a stranger who likes your book for the first time then you feel compelled to write another story for them. Um, And so (laughs) it's like Lucy in the Chocolate Factory, the treadmill starts and you've got to keep going, you know, because you have fans out there who want um, more stories from your your head. Um, I started the second series when I was totally blocked on, I think it was the seventh book in the first series. I couldn't figure out where the story was going. I'm like, okay, Maybe the series should have ended. Maybe I shouldn't be writing this book. So I I put it aside and I started a new series. Um, And I think I wrote two books in that new series. Then I came back to the first series and wrote five more. (laughs) So apparently it wasn't at an end. But um, the third series I'm doing, I've been branching out into uh, paranormal and um, fantasy the fantasy genre and paranormal. And um, that's given me, like, I want to write a character like that. So my next series is a paranormal. I'm I'm featuring a a cop who gets injured in the line of duty. Um, As she's recovering, she discovers she can teleport anywhere on earth. So she asks herself, what do I do with this skill? you know, I have to do some good with it. And she decides to work for the CIA and um, primarily rescues people uh, before being assigned to this big um, project. Um, I'm, I've got a um, mad billionaire who has a, who in his middle age has had a new child and wants to solve the climate crisis for that child. And he's going to do it by blowing up all the oil reserves around the world. That will stop <laughs> global warming. Of course, it would destroy the world. And he's all obviously evil. But, um, you know, it's been fun having her go all looking for where could he be enriching uranium and then just 
having her pop in all over the place, not be discovered, do something useful. Um, and oh, by the way, she's in her early 50s because, you know, that's when you really get going in life. <laughs> <laughs> well, so you mentioned before that you were a pantser, but you're writing um, this new series, but all your series take planning and world building and thoughts. And especially this, this new series, when you have a paranormal element like that, people are fine with it as long as you set the rules and you don't break your own rules. Right. So you, you actually do have to do some planning to, for that series. Was, how, did, how did this idea come to you? Um, actually, I, I have a friend who got really good grades in English, so I can trust her, um, <laughs> who has edited. She's been the first reader for all of my books. Um, mm -hmm. And um, so I said, you know, I want to write a paranormal. I don't want witches and warlocks or shifters, I, uh, you know, or ghosts or any of that stuff. This is what I'm thinking of. And, and then she would say, well, no, um, did you think of this? So we went back and forth and um, I originally had her as a small town police chief. And she's like, that's not the right place for someone with that skill set. So then I went back to the drawing board to figure out where she was. And that's when the CIA made sense. Um, but um, at one point, um, I, I did have to set rules around the world. And um, I, didn't, I did a little bit of it at the start. I, I said she can only teleport with what's on her body. She can't take another human with her. She can't take a suitcase with her. Um, it's only what's in her pockets. And it's funny, I, I met up with that friend. I had her read the first page recently. And she said, well, give her a backpack. So I'm 30,000 words in and I have this red line across the page. Go back and add a backpack to the rest of the story. So, um, well, <laughs> you know, or a big fanny pack or something. She said, that's on the body. That's because I said, well, I no, I, I'm not allowing her to take a purse. And and so her thing was, well, what's the difference between clothing with pockets? Or, so it's so funny that irrational conversations you can have around yeah. world building. <laughs> it is. And also it becomes so real that you don't remember all the time that you actually made all this up. Right. So you can... <laughs> You can change it. It's just it's like not real. Oh boy! Um, so, are you going to continue writing the other two series as well? Yeah, it was kind of funny when I uh, first announced on my website I, I, what my new th series was about. I had several readers say, "Well, I'm not going to read that. I don't like paranormal." Um, and I'm like, "Oh, bummer! Um, I'm going to lose all these fans." And um, I actually, I have one fan who said in my first series that the uh, the um, female lead and her boyfriend need to get married in the next book. And I thought, wow, you know, that's when you know you've arrived as a writer, when you have fans who are telling you what your character should do in the next book. Right. So, right. and I actually had planned that. Um, I ended the last book and as I moved toward the end 
I was debating whether to end with a funeral or a marriage proposal. And I went to the funeral and that first reader again said, oh, that was a good choice, Linda. The marriage proposal wouldn't have fit at that part in the story. So I'm like, oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and when you're writing series, you do need to think three or four books down the lane so if in case you want to have some kind of a story arc or something or do you do that do you plan nope. no no <laughs> she's it was listener funny. she there she's shaking her head no <laughs> well the funny thing was um a lot of my books come from travel um so i've been like i went to voucher con in toronto uh, i think which was 2017 And I had looked at things to do in Toronto before I got there. And there was a church nearby that had a free noon Friday concert series. So I think I figured by Friday, I'll be sick of all the book people. I'll run out, listen to this free concert and get a little classical music. Well, I did all that, sat back to relax, looked at all the other people who were clearly far better classical music enthusiasts than I was. And then the guy was playing Opus, uh, Beethoven's Opus 110, and he starts going into a crescendo. And I'm like, there's my story. I'm going to kill the piano player. And I'm taking pictures in the church subtly so I can remember what it looks like. Um, Because I knew I had two books before that, like, towns I had been to that I wanted to kill somebody. And um, so I I needed to save that. But the funny thing was like a year and a half later, I wrote the church to ask them what three pieces of music did they play? Because I I didn't, by the time I got around to the story, I didn't know which classical music piece had inspired me. And they had records and they wrote me back and told me what the piano player had played. I didn't tell them I was killing them, but um, (laughs) yeah, that's how my mind works. And um, I took a vacation to Australia, New Zealand. I looked up and down both of those countries for someone to kill, but everybody was so kind and so pleasant. (laughs) I could not think of a story there um, for at least, I think I started a year after I got back. I finally thought of something um, to put in a down under book. So no, I, I don't have any idea where the plot's going until I start the book. So you are a pantser. You're a true pantser. (laughs) (laughs) I have a bad. (laughs) You know, I mean, it, it whatever works for you works for you and your brain can obviously hold all the these characters and all these possible scenarios at the same time and also that you can recognize in your real life a moment that you think might inspire your writing yes. is is pretty great yeah do you carry a notebook with you to write things down no um i'm trying to think uh oh and I did another one, um, a book set in Dallas. Um, I was visiting, I have a niece who lives there. and I, I wanted to get a feeling of Dallas from the Dynasty series um, mm-hmm. from the 1980s. So I had her take me to this really rich, you know, expensive, ritzy mall in Dallas. 
Um, cause, and I just sat in the mall and watched people, um, trying to think of a story. Um, and a woman sat next to me on a fountain and she had wrappings around her face. Um, I was sitting outside of Nordstrom's and so it was fairly clear to me she just had plastic surgery, but couldn't resist going shopping at Nordstrom. So she's in that story. I, you know, you, those random, um, moments in your life that you can feed into a story, make the story Mm -hmm. feel more authentic, I think. So I thank all those random people for wandering into my life. (laughs) (laughs) And inspiring you. Um, Well, the writing journey is a separate journey than the publishing journey often. And so can we talk, you're an indie published author, and can we talk about the decisions you made about that journey and and how you make decisions moving on? Today, I read a blog post by somebody who's an indie published author, and she was talking about how different it was Mm -hmm. 10 years ago when she started as opposed to now, because now... Um, traditional publishers are using the same tools that indie publishers yeah. were using, and it's so, so much bigger a market. But um, can you just talk a little bit about your journey as a indie published author? Sure. Um, I when I started writing, I I didn't think at that time about how I would publish. I just wanted to see. You know, first you you want to see if you can actually write a story. So that was Mm -hmm. my first quest. And, um, and I knew my English would be bad. Um, so I hired a developmental editor on that first book, um, to learn. You would be amazed at what I didn't know from a writing perspective, like numbers, like they don't, teach in, or I didn't remember from college that you, what numbers you spell out versus use uh, numerals for. So, you know, I hired um, an editor because I knew I had many holes in my grammar and and understanding of it. So, um, and all along I had been looking at stories, you know, I, I was like, so what do I do next? And It's likely that because I'm such an impatient person um, that when I saw that I could immediately uh, put the book out there and find out that it was a flop or a success, that so much more appealed to me than the traditional route. I I saw it's kind of funny that that um, they talk about the barrier to entry. And so. I didn't like this idea that there was a single gatekeeper keeping my work back, um, that being an agent, um, and then later a, a publisher. And I didn't, I didn't have in my head to write more than one story at that point either. Um, and, but mostly it was like, I'm done with this story. I want to put it out in the world to see if I suck or not. And I want to know now, because I don't want to waste my time writing a second book if the first book is awful. And um, the first book actually is fairly awful. Um, I have rewrote it like three or four times. Um, One of the one thing that developmental um, editor didn't tell me was to use contractions, which 
you're like, you didn't know you should use contractions in creative writing. And it's like, nope, we didn't use those in business writing. And so I'm, I think I, you know, afterwards, after reading a few reviews and saying the writing was stilted, um, one of the things I realized was that, you know, contractions are used in dialogue and everyday conversation. And so that was one of the many rewrites of that book. But yes, I have I can see progress in writing from that foot first book. So, um, yeah, so I put it out there and I've actually thought it was fun. You know, you, I liked this idea of coming up with a book cover. Um, I had never thought about that until you're ready to publish. And then all the art, the artsy side of book covers I just had to have control of that, which is something I would have given up. Um, I don't know why. I think part of it is it inspires me. So I have a cover done, usually about 3,000 words in to each book as I write it. Um, mm -hmm. It just, for some reason, the book cover helps me visualize a story and I have to have it at the beginning. So there, but I would say that at that time, it was the Wild West. So you were looked down upon if you were indie. You know, there was so much um, vanity press. And, but I had read up on Amazon and Smashwords and Apple. And I'm like, it's not vanity. It's, it's just, I have to go find readers, but they still give honest reviews. So and I'm not, pub, you know, I'm not printing a thousand books um, up and then distributing. Right. I am just putting that thing out there for sale and I'll see what the world thinks of it. So fortunately, they thought enough of it that I kept writing. <laughs> so a couple of things I want to talk about uh, in this. One is your cover. So do you have the same cover artist for all your books? Um, I actually had a friend um, design the first cover. And, um, he, let's see. Yeah. He designed the first cover because I didn't even know how to find a graphic artist when I was starting out. Uh, um, it wasn't, I don't think it was as easy as no. it is now to find somebody. And then for the second cover, I found somebody and I've stuck with her through all the books, all the series and I've actually redone three covers later because I, I was like, eh, this, this isn't working. And then um, recently I updated the fonts on all 16 books, um, same um, cover artist. So yeah, she's um, lives in El Salvador. So it's kind of cool that she's this indie cover designer, I, I, you know, it was the indie author reaching out to the indie cover designer in another country. Um, and then I, for a while, I had an editor that I'd hired in Australia. So, uh, you know, you feel like this world CEO as you, all these people <laughs> helping you around the world make the best book possible. Well, the mechanics of indie publishing 
are, I mean, there's so many steps because you have to do it all yourself right. or get people to do it. Right. And I think one of the um, challenges that people run into it, are, is the marketing of it, is getting those yeah. readers. Do you think that your business experience helped you not be as afraid of that? Absolutely. It's, um, it's interesting. I, I think about the mountain I climb starting and I'll help any sisters in crime sister, um, get, get their book published for the first time. Um, I'm, a, you know, I like the see one, do one. So I will, I will walk you through the process. I have, um, formatting software and, you know, it takes me all two minutes to upload the book and get it in a beautiful format. And I tell people you need, you need to buy the software if you're going to commit to writing, but if you're a one and done person, you know, don't buy all this stuff because you need to earn it back in your book sales. Um, you know, you need right. to manage your budget on this thing. Otherwise you can, you'll never make <laughs> any money. And um, so I knew, you know, it's pretty, um, pretty early on, you, you know, you have to find your readers. And so I've taken, oh, probably 50 hours of training and marketing, um, you know, Amazon ads, Facebook ads, BookBub ads, all. And yeah, so you have to, if you're going indie, you pretty much have to learn that yourself. And Otherwise, you just are going to have friends and families buying that book and you won't get anywhere if you want to make a long term career out of it, which is what I want to do, because I have a lot of stories in my head. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're taking all these marketing classes, you can eventually hire somebody to help mm -hmm. you with it. But understanding how it works is invaluable mm -hmm. so that you can have conversations that are informed conversations. <laughs> um, you sort of know what they're trying to do. Yeah. And it all ties in. So, um, the search engine optimization, SEO, you know, your keywords and your ads and your book title and your book category, they all tie together and you can't be off in different corners and have effective advertising. That's true. And also, um, I think that when you're traditionally published, you also have to worry about marketing. I mean, marketing is just part of part of what it is right now to be a published author. Yeah, I I mean, from what I've seen, marketing when I started out was an author showing up to a book conference or a bookstore and signing books, maybe reading a selection. And now, um, the, uh, the traditional publishing companies are. Uh, some of them are buying ads, BookBub ads and Amazon ads and Facebook ads. But if you're a mid-list author, they aren't paying that much attention to you. Um, and so I, I've heard um, traditionally published authors say, well, I don't do ads because I can't control my price. And I'm like, 
I don't do ads only because my book is on sale. I do ads for full my full price books all the time, and so should you. Um, and so I think mostly that's falling on dead ears, but. And do you have a ratio of how many ads you buy? You know, I mean, do you, do you, is there a way that you keep spreadsheets so you know what you should be selling or when, or do you have a marketing plan or how do you, how do you figure that stuff out? I do. I, I, I have, um, several spreadsheets. I have one where I tally all of my reviews on Goodreads and Amazons for all my books. Um, and every time I get 500 more, I add, I update the chart. Cause I, you want to know, um, you want to know if you've got a book that needs to be rewritten or there's just something about it. Maybe there's, there's something you can do to fix it, to make it better. And I have done that with one or two books. I was able to move um, the mark up. Um, And then I keep a, another Excel spreadsheet with, sales and page reads because I'm um, exclusive to Amazon. So my income comes from both book sales and page reads. And um, I I keep it by book. (laughs) And I tally, you know, I do offer free books occasionally. And I just, I tally all that. And I, with 16 books, it's really becoming a headache to manage. Um, And you can only run a a KDP, um, at, or um, sale or free day every 90 days. So that makes it even more 90 days for each of the 16 books. <laughs> it, it's, um, it's hard to track it. And I'm seriously thinking about hiring somebody to help me on that side, because it's hard to keep writing and keep selling, but. Right. Right. And you are Amazon exclusive. Mm-hmm. And that's a decision that, that indie authors need to go as well. Is is Amazon or going what they call going wide, right. which is going on multiple platforms. And what I, I've done is I, I have done the experiment three times where I've gone wide and I've stayed wide for like six months and then, you know, compare my revenue and, you know, it just, the sales I get on Kobo and Apple and other platforms don't make up for the lost income from page reads on Amazon. And many authors will tell you that about 55% of their income comes from page reads. So, you know, yeah, I, I hate having all my eggs in one basket, but I'm, I want page, I want people reading my book and Right. I see more people reading my book if I'm exclusive in Amazon. So, but it's, everybody has to make that decision personally. Well, again, I, I think that understanding the bit that it's a business, mm-hmm. it's so hard when it's something you care about yes. and you created, but understanding it's a business and you have to make business decisions mm-hmm. for your book is, is a gift. Um, that not everyone can have easily or, it, um, you know, or, or sometimes I think people fight because it is, it's your creative work is, a, is so important to, which is why I think separating your writing life from your publishing life is really important. Yeah. 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 I, 
I'm always um, amused at when people are, you know, they're, they take it personal that, what do you mean my book isn't worthy of $8.99? I'm like, well, it. you want sales or do you want worthiness by some measuring stick that doesn't bring income? Um, I don't know what to say to that. <laughs> Yeah, and it's. I, I think it's also really useful for marketing and also for selling to see what else is out there and and you know comparable so right. that you can make some decisions. Right. Yeah, it's very much like um, I guess you'd call this the real estate market where you're looking for likewise comps for a property. With books, you it really helps to find some famous author and say. This is this plus this is my story. Um, so that gives your readers a hint of whether they'll like you before they buy yeah. you. Yeah. And it also helps you a lot with marketing mm-hmm. for sure. Um, so, Alec, what advice would you give your younger self? <laughs> um, I wish I had done much more marketing in the start. Although I'm actually not even sure that both Facebook and Amazon ads platforms were were there in 2013, but that was, you know, that was the richest time for indie authors. Now everybody's written a single book and, you know, there's, I think, 7 million books published every year or some outrageous number that you're competing with. Um, so I wish I had done marketing sooner. Um I wish I hadn't hired the first editor. I wish I could have found a better editor that suited me. Um, but I don't know if I had the skill set then to realize what I needed. Yeah. Um, yes. So, but uh, I'm I'm impressed that it's become my life. Like I remember. Uh, when I saw the first uh, convention, uh, it was a left coast crime in Monterey, California, which is, it's an hour drive from where I live. And I'm like, what do people do at a book convention? You know, I had been to all these healthcare conventions and I'm like, what are they selling? There's no equipment and there's no this or that. Um, So I think that was when I felt like I'd come out of the cave for the first time and actually met other writers and saw what happened at a convention. And I wish I wish my younger self had been to that convention before I started writing. Um, that would have really helped me on my journey. Yeah, and building your community. Mm-hmm. So how soon did Sisters in Crime become part of your journey? 2014 at that convention. <laughs> I talked to them and I, you know, I, I think in 2014, I was still apologizing for being indie at the time. And they were like, we love you anyways, you know, come on in. <laughs> um, we are a wide open community and um, it's been that way ever since. So um, Sisters in Crime really leveled the playing field for me to find my community when I started out as a writer. So 
that's that's actually why I applied to be on the board. I wanted to help the organization that had helped me um, when I was just getting a start. Well, we appreciate the work you've done on the board as the chapter liaison. Um, at, right now, as of this recording, we have 59 chapters. Um, Alec and I are both hoping for number 60 to come in soon. Um, and I think it's but that, fine too. <laughs> I do too. I do too. But it's, um, you know, the organization has grown tremendously and it's 35 years, which is a lot, but it's actually not that much. Right. And I feel like the growth has been exponential in the past few years. And it's from people like you serving on the board and having these different conversations about, about publishing and mm -hmm. about being a writer and what that looks like. Yeah. Yeah. Alec, thank you for this great conversation. Um, and just as a, an aside, is the software you're talking about for publishes for uh, self publishing is Vellum? Yep. Is that what you? Yep. Yeah, I'll put a link um, to that in your in the show notes. Mm -hmm. um, and for people, it's Mac only, yep. and it's an investment, but it is an unbelievable tool for getting a book ready to be published. Oh, I would spend hours in the past formatting. Formatting, you know, I would set aside a week, a whole week for formatting. And this thing made every book pretty in 60 seconds. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a remarkable software package. And <laughs> it only works on Mac. and. So I wasn't a Mac person at the start. Um, I bought a used 2012 Mac on eBay for, I think, $170. And Vellum, which I think was 260 at the time for both print and E. Um, and it was worth every penny. Um, and there's, there's a new software coming out that is going to be for desktop publishing, or um, for Microsoft, but I I found something that works. That's all I need. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, thank you for this great conversation, interesting conversation, and good luck with the the new series. And I, I, boy, wouldn't you love to be able to transport anywhere, even uh, if I couldn't bring my purse? I, yeah. I would love that. <laughs> well, I started out with her you know, teleporting right into a Siberian prison where an American captain was being held prisoner. And, you know, to go from CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia to Siberia, and then, you know, how she broke him out of prison. I'm like, this would be so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It's great. Thank you, Alec. This is a great conversation. Thank you, Julie. Thank you for being with us today. Sisters in Crime is about community. We were founded to advocate for women crime writers, and we continue that mission by fighting for equity in the crime writing community. Sisters in Crime is an international inclusive organization for all who write and love crime fiction, mystery, thrillers, and suspense. Join us at sistersincrime.org and make sure you subscribe to this podcast. <laughs>